Hello, I have a special treat for you guys today. I've got Cassandra here with me, and she has been a huge part of our life, especially when Georgia was diagnosed with diabetes. She helped me tremendously emotionally, mentally, even with the diabetes information and answering questions that I had that I couldn't ask the doctors, and just giving us real life talk with diabetes that you can't get from doctors. And she was a huge part in Georgia's diagnosis and just made her feel so much more comfortable with her diagnosis. I wanted to bring her to you guys today to make you aware of what diabetes is and what it's like to be diagnosed with it and go through life with diabetes. So our discussion was just so full of so much good information that I couldn't cut it down. So it ended up being two episodes. So we've got half of it today and half of it tomorrow. So make sure you tune in tomorrow for the other half. So I made a joke that Cassandra should start her own diabetes education. And I was part serious. She could definitely do her own diabetes education podcast. It would be full of amazing knowledge. Yesterday was National Diabetes Day, and so that's why we are bringing these episodes to you this week. November is National Diabetes Awareness Month, and Monday is a special day for diabetes awareness. And I just wanted to bring this to you guys today because I didn't know anything about diabetes or even the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. I just didn't know anybody that had it. I didn't know anything about it. And so when Georgia was diagnosed, it just threw me for a major loop. I didn't know what to expect. I was terrified. And as a parent, it's definitely one of the most difficult things to do to see your child being diagnosed with something like that. So I just wanted to bring more awareness to all of you out there on type 1 diabetes and what life is like. Are you sick of always feeling rushed? Does it feel like you're constantly forgetting things? Are you frequently frustrated and snapping at your kids, spouse, or all of the above? Are you ready for peace and joy to flow through you in your home? In this podcast, you will find solutions to bring peace and joy back to what may feel like chaos. It is my mission to help you be restored to who God intended you to be so you can wake up refreshed and excited for each new day. When God speaks of restoration, it is always in abundance, and when restored, it is better than how it started. God promised us a better life and a better future for us and our families. If you are ready to say yes to the life God created you for and for peace to flow through your home, mind, and spirit, then you have come to the right place. I'm Jen, a wife, mom, and Jesus lover. I spent six years as a single mom, then married, became a stepmom, and we blended our families. Diving in headfirst from a chaotic single mom life to a chaotic mom and wife life. I struggled to keep my sanity. I looked to everything and everyone else to avoid the drowning feelings of failure and uncertainty. I finally realized there was a better way. Life was meant to be truly lived. God had a purpose for me and our family, and the way we were living was not it. God showed me what structure, organization, and a healthy mindset can do to bring joy back into my home and marriage. Through that, God showed me what biblical restoration in my life can look like. I am here to share that with you. Wherever you are starting from, if you are ready to find peace, joy, and your sanity once again, or for the first time ever, along with getting back to the root of who God created you to be, this podcast is for you. Find a new joy-infused marriage and laughter and fun to replace the stress and frustration with your kiddos as you join me for real talk through the pain, struggle, and joy and freedom on the other side. 
So warm up that cold coffee, find a kid-free chair, and pop in those earbuds. It's time to dive in. Okay, I guess we'll start with introducing Gail. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, well, my name is Cassandra, and I am 33 years old. I've lived with type 1 diabetes for 20 years, um, and I know Jen from Church in California. Yeah. So we and just I- happened to move to Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> Not too far apart. <laughs> we met totally randomly at church one yep. day and became pretty good friends. And yep. Then I moved here and then I, I got a call here. from you while you were moving saying yep. you needed insulin. And <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely. So fun. It's, world. it's fun though. Yeah. Fun times it's with nice diabetes. To have you close sitting around here. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. It's been a good time. Good little adventure for me. Good. Well, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I wanted to just kind of talk about your experience with diabetes and your diagnosis and how it affected you, your parents, living with it, and now as a grown-up, dealing with it. Sure. So just go through all the things. Yeah. Um, Well, I was diagnosed at 12, so I was actually diagnosed officially nine days before my 13th birthday. Um, So Happy birthday. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And so my... I have so many friends and every diagnosis story is just so different. It's so unique to that individual. Um, So diabetes does not run in my family. Um, My dad's biological father um, had type 2 diabetes that uh, turned into type 1 because of just untreated, untaken care of type 2. Um, But otherwise, no one else in my family has diabetes in any form. Um, And so when I got sick, we didn't really know what was going on by we, like my fa- my parents, my siblings, like nobody knew. We had just moved from California to Virginia. My dad was in the Navy and had been stationed in um, Virginia Beach. And so um, I was a, a moody preteen. And so everyone just thought that I was being moody and emotional and depressed about the move. But um, I literally couldn't get out of bed. I was sleeping all day long. Uh, going to the bathroom all time, like just constantly. The only time, excuse me, I really got up out of bed was to go to the bathroom. Um, I remember my dad had taken like a plastic milk jug and cleaned it out and I could drink one of those in like five minutes flat. Um, cause I just couldn't get enough just liquid. Like I was just so thirsty all the time. I remember my mom said that I came downstairs and I was wearing one of my dad's, uh, like Navy shirts that he would, t-shirts that he would wear for, um, PT. And, uh, she said I looked like a Holocaust victim. Like I was just skin wrapped in bones. I had lost so much weight. My older sister had swam and played water, water polo when we lived in California one of her teammates' brothers had type 1 diabetes. Um, And I don't know if my mom called the family before or after my diagnosis, but um, my mom had remembered some things from that conversation with his mom. um, And I think that kind of triggered some curiosity for her. So Mm -hmm. um, she had called to make me a doctor's appointment. And um, the nurse over the phone was like, these symptoms sound too severe for just a doctor's appointment. You should take her over to Portsmouth Naval, take her to the emergency room. Oh, just over the phone. Yeah. And um, my mom was like, you know, you guys are so much closer. You're right across the street. And the nurse was like, if you bring her here, we're going to transport her. If her her symptoms are as severe as what you're saying, we're going to take her to the ER in an ambulance. So you might as well just take her over there. 
So I remember the drive to the hospital and I remember getting checked in. Um, I remember the nurse checking my blood sugar. Um, it was 636. Oh. And my parents, you know, we had no idea. We had just no clue. And so my parents were like, what is, you know, the nurse is immediately like, okay, we need to get her back. We need to get her on fluids and stuff. And so, you know, but my parents are like, you know, we don't understand. And the nurse said, nurse looked at my mom and my, and told my mom, she said, if your daughter were to sit down and eat two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and two large size, king size Snickers bars, like her blood sugar still shouldn't be that high. So, um, the immediately, so everybody listening knows a normal blood sugar doesn't usually like go above 80 yeah. and 120 maybe. Yeah. 120 maybe. is even kind yeah. of high. Like that's like a whole lot. And you, yep. you test right after you eat the carbs and your, your body hasn't processed it. Either. Yeah. So, um, that's, it's, it's very, very high pre meal for somebody who doesn't have type one diabetes. You're normally sitting between, uh, 60 and 70 and then post meal, you really should, even with a high carb, high sugar meal, you really shouldn't even be reaching like 105, 115. So I 600 and... curiosity, I have tested myself because mm. it's Georgia having mm-hmm. diabetes. I got the testers here. So I've tested myself before eating anything and I'm maybe low 70s. And yep. then after I eat a high carb meal, I'm still maybe 90. Yep. Low, no, no, low 90. So. Yes. Yeah. So 636 is yeah. really high. Um, so I remember being taken back into the ER, um, but by this point I was so in and out of it. I was very fatigued. I was very exhausted. Um, so I was very like, just not just consciously in and out of it sleeping wise, but just mentally, like I just was not very aware. Um, so I was in ICU for five days. Um, the first three days, I don't really remember very much. I remember nurses and doctors coming in a lot. Um, I don't even really remember my parents being there. They were, but I don't really remember that. Um, I remember nurses waking me up in the middle of the night and handing me syringes. They wanted me to get adjusted to taking my own doses, but I was still so out of it that I just was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Like, okay, I'll take this. And then D5, I was... Um, I think it was around day four, they moved me to a pediatric, just a regular pediatric floor. I was in PICU and then they moved me to a regular pediatrics floor. And then on the fifth day, uh, my endocrinologist at the time came in and like officially told me like, you know, you've been diagnosed with type one diabetes. Your life is completely different. It's going to be completely changed. Uh, they handed me a bright, I'll never forget. It It was like red and blue and yellow, green, like blocks of colors. This like backpack, this like kid's backpack. And it had a pink panther diabetes education book in it and a couple of videos. Oh, they they used the pink panther ones then too? Yeah. I got several of those. I loved that book was so great. I've actually bought it for friends who have, like, wanted to know information. And, like, I've bought it for them because it was my favorite. I would reference it, you know, so often. Um, it was very yeah. helpful. I didn't realize it was that old, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it, was, I mean, it was just a few years ago for Georgia. Yeah. So, but that was our education. 
That was, you know, as far as being told what was actually happening in my body, what diabetes actually does to your body. Um, and that, that was it for my parents and I. That wasn't, you know, as far as I know, there wasn't. and insulin and the ratios. And- so they gave us all of that information as far as, like, what my dosing was. Um, but I mean, I'm sure as you know, and remember in the very beginning stages, so much of it is just trial and error. Um, and yeah, and nobody, um, a lot of, I don't know what education looks like today. Obviously I was mm-hmm. diagnosed 20 years ago. Um, but nobody taught me the difference between a, a fast acting carb and a slow acting carb. Well, we didn't even learn that with Georgia. Right. I'm still trying to learn all the nuances with all of that. It's sure. Or the fact that anything with a high fat content is going to slow down your absorption mm-hmm. for insulin. So you have to be careful about how you dose. You want to make sure that you take a partial dose before and a partial, you know, the rest of your dose after. But and a lot of those things you do learn over time, and each body is different. So how my body responds to certain carbs versus how Georgia's is going to be very different. Um, but there was just no, there was no education for us. Um, and so the first two years after my diagnosis was really rough. I was in the hospital a lot. Um, I was very, very sick. I spent, I had five hospital visits in the ICU in nine months. Um, two of those visits were um, doctors literally telling my parents, like, you need to prepare for the worst. We don't know. There was one time where they were like, we don't know if she's going to come out of this. And even if she does, we don't know how, like, what state she's going to be in when she comes out of it. Um, and so, and I was DKA all five times. So that's diabetic ketoacidosis. And essentially what that means is that your pH levels of your blood go up. It's like your blood becomes like sludge in your veins. That's how it feels. Um, and your body is working overtime because it doesn't have enough insulin to be able to process the things that you're eating or just even just the normal you know, sugar that's in our, our bodies just normally. It's a very, very painful experience. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, the first two years were very difficult for us. Back then, uh, continuous glucose monitors or even insulin pumps, they weren't something readily available. Um, a lot of doctors weren't pushing them. You know, my endocrinologist was actually very against insulin pumps. Why? Um, I don't know. There wasn't ever really like an explanation for it, especially at such a young age. The insulin pump is such a great tool um, because sometimes taking multiple daily injections can be overwhelming for a child and it can be scary. And so a lot for Georgia and getting the pump was a life changer for her and me. Yeah. Saved a lot of my brain power. Yeah, absolutely. It does a lot of the thinking for you. Yeah. And that was really what saved my life. So after my fifth hospital stay Um, by my third hospital stay the doctor was recommending a facility that was in new kent virginia it's a live-in medical facility Um, it was created specifically for diabetics but a lot of uh, different medical conditions can also be treated there Um, it's called cumberland and so by the fifth visit my parents finally were like okay maybe this is the best option for her Um, and so i ended up going and living there for two months and nine days. Wow. It was a couple hours away from my family, so I didn't get to see my family very often. But all of a sudden, I went from 
not knowing anything, being very angry about my diagnosis because I didn't understand. Um, also, just you, like when you don't know what's going on in your body and you don't, you have this, you're being told you need to take this medication to live, but you don't understand how to take it because you don't understand what's happening in your body. Like it's a very frustrating feeling. In this, at Cumberland, I had a therapist, I had a dietitian, I had a diabetes educator, I had a doctor. Wow. Um, it was the first half of my sophomore year of high school. So I had teachers because I was still doing all of my, my school sent all my schoolwork. So I was still doing all my schoolwork. But all of a sudden, I went from having absolutely no resources to this entire team of people just dedicated just to me that were just pouring information. So I finally, you know, they really pushed for me to get on a pump. So I was finally, I started using a Medtronic insulin pump um, and they just started educating me and teaching me, teaching me about food and how it works with the body and how it works with the body with diabetes and without diabetes. You know, how it works, how the food responds to the insulin, what insulin actually is, you know. These, I don't even know what insulin really is. Yeah. So <laughs> for those of you who don't know. I'm giving it to my daughter every day. Yeah. So <laughs> insulin is actually a hormone. So in somebody who doesn't have type 1 diabetes, when you sit down to go to eat something, the moment that, well, the moment you start thinking about food, right, your mouth starts to salivate. That's your body telling your mouth to prepare to start breaking down the food. Your saliva is what helps break down the food. And then as you eat, your body immediately starts, your pancreas starts working to release insulin. Now, insulin is a hormone. The easiest and the best way that anyone's ever explained it to me is all of the cells in your body are like locks. Insulin is the key. Insulin is what opens up the lock to allow your cells to absorb the nutrients from your food. So not just the sugar, but the fat, the protein, the fiber, like all of the things that your food is made of. So without insulin, all of your cells are these locks that they can't open. So then all of the nutrients, and there's other organs that can help filter through, you know, the other nutrients, but the sugar specifically has no way of being absorbed. So what happens is then all of these sugar cells just float around your body and there's nowhere for your body to, there's nothing for your body to do. And so because sugar is turned into energy, that's how we, our bodies continue to function without the cells being able to absorb those energy. That's why the pH level in your blood goes up. Okay. And so that's kind of what it is. So it just essentially is the key that opens the locks to allow your body to do what God created it to do to function normally. So for somebody with diabetes, um, for somebody without diabetes, you're in automatic transmission. Your car, your engine, it all runs all by itself. But for those of us with type 1 diabetes, we are a manual transmission. We have to do for our body what it can't do for itself. So taking the insulin allows our bodies to absorb all of those things, allows our bodies to continue to function um, as normally as possible. So, but I learned all of that in Cumberland two years after I was diagnosed. And so getting on an insulin pump changed my life. Um, And then I was... I was there for two months and nine days. I was supposed to be there longer, but there was all the fun complications of insurance. So that's always fun. Oh yeah, and that's a whole. That could be its own podcast episode. Is, so we just need a podcast about insurance, really. <laughs> oh my gosh, just about how wonderful the health insurance is. You know, I came home, but 
even though there was a lot of factors that were still the same as when I went into Cumberland, um, I had so much more education. I had so much more knowledge that it made it a lot easier um, to kind of figure it out. And I still stumbled for a very long time. I still struggled for a very long time. Um, I don't think I got past being angry about it for a really long time, uh, which I know didn't make it easy for my parents. Um, and as an adult, I have apologized profusely um, because I was a very rebellious teenager and you tack on the diabetes on top of it. I know my mom especially had many, many sleepless nights just because I was, I was angry and I was reckless and I just wanted to do my own thing. And I didn't understand why my sisters were completely healthy and thriving in life. And all of a sudden, like my whole world changed. I remember what life was like before diabetes. You know, I, actually had envy for my friends who were diagnosed very young that don't really remember much about or born with it that don't really remember much before diabetes you you know compare the two yeah but I do I remember what life was like and so um I know it was very difficult for my parents and I know that um they definitely um had many sleepless nights and the hardest part was just, again, like circling back, there just wasn't an, there just wasn't education. And I feel like because there wasn't education, um, they didn't know how to, you know, they didn't know how to help me. They didn't know what I needed. And, you know, both of my parents, I believe that both of my parents did the best they could with what they had. Um, but it wasn't great, you know, and it doesn't sound like they had much support. No. Well, and the support was completely different. Mm -hmm. Like, didn't know anybody who had kids with diabetes. I didn't know anybody who had diabetes. You know, you talk about, you know, struggling just with my siblings. Well, I was one of less than 10, maybe five in my school, in my high school that had diabetes, you know. And so there was just no... I felt really alone. Yeah, I think for me, I've kind of always, um, kind of always just stuck out. So the only part of it that was really lonely was when, like, I wouldn't feel good or, you know, the whole first half of my sophomore year I was gone, you know, and there was tons of, like, everyone had an explanation for where I was and what was going on. Of and, course. Um, you know, high school is great that way. Yeah. But, um, they come up with their own stories. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, I think I probably felt more alone in my family than I did in school really? just because nobody, under, nobody got it. I didn't really get it, you know. And I was so sick for what felt like so many years that I felt – Um, I felt bad because I felt like I took a lot of attention away from my sisters unintentionally. Um, I, I felt bad because there was a lot of tension between my parents. There was a lot of other things going on too, but there was still a lot of tension between my parents. And so for a long time, definitely contribute to whatever else is going on too. Sure. Um, so, but I felt a lot of responsibility for a lot of arguments that were happening, a lot of tension that was arising. Um, and so I think it was easier or not easier, but I just definitely felt more alone at home with my family than I did. I really didn't care about anybody outside of the house. Like I really have never been that way. Um, you like me great. You don't, I, that's (laughs) fine. Um, but with my family, it just felt hard because 
you know, my parents didn't really have support. Nobody really understood. So it just kind of was like, well, I guess we'll figure it out, you know, and just yeah. figure it out as we go. Um, it's a dangerous thing to figure out as you go. Yes, uh, definitely a dangerous and a scary thing, you know, for everyone involved. Because um, one of the times when I was really sick, like, I passed out and fell down the stairs. Oh. And, like, my dad caught me at the bottom of the stairs. But then I'm laying on the floor unconscious. Yeah. My sisters are there. Like, my whole family was home, you know. And so I know how scary that moment was for me. But I can't imagine my sisters, you know, my younger sister is four years younger than me. So I'm, you know, 14 at the time. She's 10, you know, watching me fall down the stairs and lay on the floor unconscious. You know, it was just... Yeah, like I couldn't imagine. So, um, but luckily as time went on, um, obviously like once I got to a place where I was okay with the fact that I was like, okay, this is part of my life. I can spend the rest of my life fighting this or I can just accept that this is part of my life. Um, Once I got to that place, it was a lot better. Um, And obviously now as an adult, it's just, it's very different, very different experience. You know, I had, I wear a continuous glucose monitor. My older sister gets my readings. Like she's my alarm clock in the middle of the night. If I drop low. Such a great sister. Oh yeah. <laughs> she is, uh, she's the best. Um, she's the one that lives here in Idaho. Yeah. Okay. She's the one that lives here in Idaho. Yeah. And so, uh, if I don't wake, if I'm not waking up in the middle of the night or she, my blood sugar is just low and it doesn't seem like I'm responding to it, like she'll text me and be like, are we alive? Like, are we awake? Are we taking care of this? Because I'm getting alarms, you know? Um, and so there's definitely a lot, you know, it's easier now. Like, it's definitely easier now. And obviously yeah. with what is available now, it's so much easier. Different kinds of insulin, you know, even that is different. You know, when I was growing up, it was Lantus, Novolog, or Humalog. Like, those were really our options. And now we have different long-lasting insulins. You know, there's Traceba. Have you found a difference in insulins? Have, oh, yeah. Have you ever used the same kinds? Yeah. So that's been a huge thing for me. So I was on Lantus for... So Lantus is a long-lasting insulin. So it's a slow-releasing insulin. You'll take it once a day. And then um, it's what's called a basal insulin. I don't even know if they still use those terms. I know we, <laughs> I was like, I know that nobody really says juvenile diabetes anymore, but that was a big term when I was diagnosed. Um, I think I've only heard that term a couple times, but they yeah. say basal still. Okay. So it gives you your baseline. So it just slowly releases throughout the day. You think about like a Excedrin migraine, right? Or something like that. It's like a, it's, it's just slowly releasing throughout the day. So that's your long lasting insulin. Then you have your fast reacting insulin, which is something that you, it's what you call a bolus. And so those is what you're taking to correct a high blood sugar or after, before, or after you're eating. So when I was diagnosed, it was Lantus. That was all anybody talked to me that's about. They put George on. Was yeah. So I was on Lantus for probably about 15 years. And it wasn't great. My control wasn't great. By the time I stopped taking Lantus, I was taking about 60 units a day, which is a lot of insulin. That's a whole lot. Yeah, especially for a basal. For, like, yeah. a, a long-lasting insulin, that's a lot of insulin. I think was at 13 by the time we stopped. Yeah. She's on the pump now. Right. So you don't have to worry about it. But. Right. Um, and so the by the time I stopped, I was taking about 60 units, 
And my doctor recommended a different insulin. So they recommended Traceba. So Traceba is just, it's a different, it's a different kind of long lasting insulin. It's formulated differently. Um, and now I only take 30 units. And that still can be a lot depending on the kind of person, right? It's different for every person. Um, but it was a way less yeah. than what I was taking. Um, and it 100% my body responds different. Also the tail end of it. Um, so a lot of the long lasting insulins have like a... It's like a tail end. So like let's so I'm usually really good about taking my insulin at the same time every day. Right? But if you're somebody who travels a lot or if you're a kid, you know, taking your insulin, your long-lasting insulin at the same exact time every single day can be a little bit difficult. So the tail end of Traceba is a 12-hour. So oh. I have like a 12-hour almost grace period. Wow. Um after from when I take my Traceba to get my next dose in before I start to really notice that I don't have a baseline. That's totally different. Because even just after the 24 hours, if Georgia didn't get it right away, mm -hmm. I noticed a difference with all you this. Yeah. Well, and you notice too, not just with what their sugars do, but how their body responds to their bolusing, mm -hmm. like how their body is responding to the fast acting. So um, it's a much longer, just like grace period with the Traceba. Interesting. And then um, I'm going to start taking Trujejo, which is the – I use generic very loosely because there's actually no such thing as generic insulin. But Trujejo yeah. is the quote-unquote generic version of Traceba. Um, so I'm interested to see – and it, that is just an insurance thing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm being switched because my insurance won't cover Traceba. Um, so I'm interested to see how that does. I thought out told my endocrinologist that if he put me on Lantus, he was going to regret it because <laughs> – it just doesn't, it just doesn't, doesn't work for you. Yeah. yeah, no. And when they switched me to Traceba, um, they also started me on metformin because and now metformin is a pill and it's normally prescribed to people who have type two diabetes, but it can be used in type one diabetes for people who are having issues with insulin sensitivity. Interesting. So yeah, so my doctor was starting to feel like based off of my labs and like just my um, my readings from my continuous glucose monitor as well as just I was documenting like everything I was eating and all of my dosing and she was feeling at the time that um, maybe the issue wasn't my dosing but it was the fact that my body was becoming resistant to the insulin that I was taking so they started me on metformin to help with insulin sensitivity so that if I was having resistance, that it would just kind of be an extra little like bump to help my body absorb. You know, you imagine taking the same medication for 20 years, your body is going to build a natural almost oh, yeah. like immunity well, to even it. Just, like with the migraine pills. Yep. If you have to take it constantly, eventually you're going to take more and more mm -hmm. and more. It's not going to work. Yeah. So they switched me over and that was a huge difference. Now, I don't see much of a difference between Novolog and Humalog. Okay. My body responds very similarly to both. I don't know. I don't notice that one works better than the other or that one is worse than the other for me. My body responds pretty neutrally to both and responds well to both. So I'm just pretty, as far as that goes, um, I love a lot of the stuff that they've come out with. Like, I loved a Frezza when a Frezza was, I don't even know if it's still on the market I've right never now. I've heard of it. It's an inhalable insulin. Interesting. Yeah. And it was super great That's because, nice. yeah, it was super great because 
when I go high, I have a really hard time coming down. Like it just, some of my highs take me a really long time to come down. Like my body just struggles. And uh, in the community, we call it rage bolusing, right? You're like, high and you can't get it to come down so you just keep taking insulin and insulin and insulin. I didn't know if maybe we just miscalculated the carbs or what was going on. It can I mean especially for Georgia at her age. Yeah well and for Georgia right now at her age it's it's more so that the hormones in her body are changing. For me it's just some of the food that I eat like yogurt or white rice. They shoot me up quick and they take me a long time to come down if I don't dose right. All right, tune in tomorrow for the rest of our discussion. And don't forget to send me an email or write a review this week to be entered in for the one free coaching session that I'm giving away to celebrate my birthday. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. If you liked the episode, please take a moment to leave a review. This helps to get Restored Mama out there into the world to help more mamas like you find the joy and freedom in the restoration God has waiting for them. If you liked Mama's show, leave a review. It will help her get seen. I would love to hear your story, where you're at, and what you're hoping to learn and gain from Restored Mama. Send me an email at restoredmamapodcast at gmail.com to fill me in on your journey. I can't wait to hang out with you again next time. Until then, I hope this has blessed you today, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do in your life.